you're listening to Gender Ed, a podcast created and hosted by Virginia Tech's Women's Center. Join us in celebrating the experiences, achievements, and diversity within our campus community. Our conversations will explore the intersection of gender and other identities and cover topics on leadership, equity, well-being, and healthy relationships. Conversations in this episode may cover a range of topics such as genocide and colonial violence, sexual violence, and discrimination. While we hope to have meaningful and relatable conversation, this podcast is not intended to provide therapy, legal counsel, or specific advice for meeting your unique needs around coping with personal or historical trauma and discrimination. To report a bias incident, please contact the Dean of Students Office at 540-231-3787 or use the reporting form found at dos.vt.edu. If you are in need of identity-based support, connect with the Cultural and Community Centers at ccc.vt.edu or 540-231-8584. If you have questions, concerns, or needs related to your mental health and well-being, please contact Cook Counseling at 540-231-6557 for more information. You can also make an appointment for advocacy at the Women's Center via email to wcsupport at vt.edu or contact our office Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 at 540-231-7806. Welcome. You're listening to Gender Ed, a production of the Women's Center at Virginia Tech. I'm your host, Katie, and I'm here with my colleague, Ashley. Uh, thanks for joining us today for our fifth episode. Today we're talking with Melissa Faircloth, the director of the American Indian Indi- Indigenous Community Center, Dr. Teresa Rocha Beardall, an assistant professor in sociology, and Kuala Ketchum, a PhD student in engineering. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, we do want to ask um, y'all to share a little bit about yourself um, and what your roles are here at Virginia Tech. So would you mind to get us started, Melissa? Absolutely, Katie. Thank you um, both for having us today. Um, As they mentioned, my name is Melissa Faircloth. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm an enrolled member of the Cary Tribal Community of Eastern North Carolina, and I serve as the director for the American Indian and Indigenous Community Center here at Virginia Tech, as well as advise Native at VT, our Native student organization on campus. Thank you so much. Paula, can you um, take some time to share a little bit more with our audience about who you are and, and what you do here at Tech? Theo, Wado, Kuala Dawadoa, Gi Jalagi Ageya. Hello, uh, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Kuala Ketchum. Um, I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and I use uh, she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a P- PhD student in engineering education uh, here at Virginia Tech, and I'm uh, I'm the secretary for Native at Virginia Tech. That sounds like a fun job. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, and, and welcome. We're so glad to have you here today. Um, and Teresa, would you mind to share a little bit with our audience about yourself as well? Yes, of course, and thank you for having us. Um, my name is Teresa Rocha Beardall. Um, I am an assistant professor of sociology. I also teach courses in criminology and American Indian studies. Um, I'm both a lawyer and a sociologist. Um, This is my second year at Tech. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, but I love the trees and the water and everything about this region. And I have two kids and I should start mapping this because we have been on way too many hikes in the past year and a half. I feel like um, we could maybe write our own little guidebook about family hikes at this point, but I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks so much for sharing a little bit about yourselves. 
To help our audience get to know you a little better, we thought it would be fun if you shared your favorite memory or experience with the Native and Indigenous community here at Virginia Tech or in the New River Valley community. So is there a past event, conversation, or community connection that really stands out to you? I definitely have one that sticks out. I think it was last powwow that students um, gave me a star quilt ceremony and I will remember that for as long as I live because I um, was not expecting it. I had no idea that they had gotten that for me, but it was just such a sweet moment um, between everybody. And I'm not really a big emotional, outwardly emotional person, but I just bawled like a baby. It was terrible, <laughs> but I will remember that forever. Oh, that's such a sweet gift. And can you, do you want to take a moment to explain the importance or significance of the star quilt to you? Yeah, so, um, but essentially it was a gift that symbolized protection and protection of a person and, and also someone that had done a lot for their community. And so they honored me with that as a, a symbol of just navigating the politics of higher education and knowing that I always would have that protection from, from the community and the community backing me, but also a thank you for the various initiatives that we've been able to collectively bring to campus. I love that. That's such a great gift just on its own, but super thoughtful from your community members. Paula, is there a specific experience that um, sticks out for you? Oh, there are several. I was trying to think, and then of course, uh, Melissa got me a little emotional thinking about that again. Um, I mean, between the powwows and Indigenous Peoples Day, I think the biggest thing though has just been having the community and with with having my son. Um, so we're far, both my husband and I um, are indigenous and I'm part of the community and we're, we're far from home. Uh, we both grew up in Oklahoma um, and we have no family in the area. Um, so Native at Virginia Tech has been, and the center has been our family. They, we had uh, our baby shower in the center uh, several members came to the hospital uh, when Yona was born. Um, and then Yona, like before the pandemic, of course, but like Yona's grown up in the center. He, on days when I had meetings, um, I would I, I would send a message to the chat, our Native VT chat and be like, hey, is there anyone who can hang out with Yona in the center for an hour while I go talk to my advisor? And the girls always loved him or love him and watch him and, um, it's just our little our little family away from home. So um, I know it's not a specific memory, but that's that's what really means the most to me is is having that community and that place um, with our little family. That's a great memory. And I know when we interviewed Melissa the first time, it was right when everybody was starting to come back, and she was just amazed at the little community that you all have within um, Native at BT. And so she. Um, definitely bragged about it, but it's really great to hear a unique story um, of how you all came together and supported each other. So that's really fantastic. Um, and then Teresa, you've been here uh, the shortest amount of time, but is there any experience in your past um, two years that really sticks out to you um, when you're connecting this to the community here? There's a lot, um, actually, which is great um, as I'm trying to Rolodex these memories in my mind. Um, but I think the one that sticks out to me the most is super relevant to what we're talking about today. And that's when, and maybe Melissa and Koala remember this, but that's when I first came to Tech and did my campus visit. Um, and I met with folks in the center. And one of the um, first and kind of strongest questions that was asked is, 
how did you and other Native students pass the resolution for Indigenous Peoples Day at Cornell, which is where I was at that time. And so it really struck me that one, they knew that this thing was like happening and that we were doing it. And two, that yes, they were interested in like courses and getting to know me, but also trying to think about how they, you know, strategize how to make this possible at tech because it needed to be here and it needs to be really everywhere. But the um, commitment that you could see on all of their faces just stuck with me because that's not a question that anyone else has ever asked me or will ever ask me. Um, and they knew it. Um, and that immediately kind of like melted my heart into theirs because I was like, oh, well, if that's what you're doing, you're my people. Um, so that was really wonderful. Thank you all for sharing those. So Melissa, can you talk to us first a little bit about what Indigenous Peoples Day is, um, both maybe personally as well as to communities of folks, um, and also talk a little bit maybe about the work to have it recognized here at Virginia Tech? Sure. So I think um, a lot of people would answer this question differently. I mean, some people are going to take a scholarly approach and some people are going to take a very personal approach. And I think you're going to get a different answer. Um, person to person, even within the Indigenous community. But for me, I look at it kind of two-prong what it means to me personally as somebody who comes from a mixed background and identifies as an Indigenous person, um, but also at the scholarly level as an educator. Native people, I mean, are, are often rendered invisible in, in political discussions, um, in discussions of higher education, um, and have a very... Um, kind of unique position based on what Brave Boy calls a liminal space that intersects not only with race and ethnicity and peoplehood, but also um, as a political identity, which I'm sure Teresa can talk more about. But I think that in higher education spaces, we really have a duty to um, tell the full story um, where, where places where we're positioning things as facts, um, though I don't necessarily believe in 100% objectivity, um, but there's all these narratives and even around our campus and, and what people were here. Um, and even if we think beyond indigenous communities um, to places like Solitude and Smithfield Plantation, where these very one-sided narratives are being told. And so for me um, at an educational level, it's about um, telling the whole story and recognize, recognizing the, the history there, um, and the multiple actors that are within that narrative and not just one-sided. Um, I think we have a duty to do that, but also what it does for people on a very personal level of just being um, seen and being heard and having their issues brought to the forefront. I say this to my students whenever we're in class on Indigenous Peoples Day and it's on my syllabus, it's Indigenous Peoples Day, that really for a lot of us as Native people, every day is Indigenous Peoples Day. And so why um, I really center this particular day and the celebration of this moment for me is about inviting um, non-Native folks into a reconsideration of their relationship to two things. One, being capitalism, and two, being the enduring ongoing violence of settler colonialism. So often this is not what folks want to talk about though. They want to talk about, you know, the, you know, their questions about native jewelry or some other kind of thing they've seen before in the media. 
um, kind of controlling images about what Native people are. And here I am saying, yeah, but actually, let's reconsider your relationship to these two kind of structuring kind of schemas in American society. And let's think about that and also realize that we're thinking about it on Native land. So I see this as an invitation for non-Native people to reconsider their relationships to where they are, um, why they're there, and what they're doing to kind of um, build a new way forward. And then I think about why it's important to be student-led. So this is like a separate part, the organizing part. When I did this work as a graduate student, it was super important that it was done by students and students alone, because we felt like it was really important for us together, both as graduate students and undergraduates, to build a culture and a shared understanding of what we thought that day meant together before we brought it to um, faculty senate and through the bureaucracy. And so we made an agreement that we were gonna spend however long it took to get student organizations, to have teach-ins, to have conversations and meals about what this all meant. And we wrote the resolution accordingly. So the resolution opens up saying you're on native land and here is what happened here um, that you need to take responsibility for because we're all implicated in what happened. And then we go on to celebration of Native people, but we really wrote it thinking about how do we challenge non-Native people to reconsider their relationship to people and place? People always come to me and ask me about Indigenous Peoples Day, and I'm usually very like completely student-led effort. This was not the center. This was not me. This was a completely student-led effort, and it was just one moment that I will probably always be particularly proud of them for, for taking that on and, and getting it done and seeing it through. So I can jump in here um, and talk about what it means uh, both to me personally and then the work that was done. Um, because I think those two things really kind of, the, that story kind of goes together. Um, so I started here at Virginia Tech in fall of 2015 so that was before we had a center before there was a director um, melissa and i actually both started around the same time as um, phd students here at tech i actually was taking a grad course with dean de um, that required us to blog and so i wrote i i wrote a blog post um, about how i felt on Indigenous Peoples Day, but before Virginia Tech had actually um, recognized it. I actually read this um, at our first official Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, and so I think it's really important because it captures what I felt on that day. When things get quiet, when my mind starts to wa wander in class, or while I'm making my trek across campus, I start thinking about it. The inner turmoil and questions start to come to the forefront of my mind. By ignoring it and acting like it's just another day, am I just contributing to the problem? Am I perpetuating the popular thought that we're not here anymore, that we're invisible? It brings up a feeling of invisibility of feeling lost because I don't look like everyone's picture of a Native American. It's never even a thought in someone's mind that today might be a hard day for me, especially now being a student at Virginia Tech. I am one of five graduate students out of nearly 5,000 that identify as Native American in, two, in the 2015-2016 year. One in five. I'm literally 20% of the native graduate student population at Virginia Tech, and that is an incredibly lonely thing to realize. 
so that's just a, um, a tidbit from that uh, blog post. But that really was how this day feels when it's ignored or when it's like, oh, well, it's it's just we don't actually celebrate Columbus Day. So why does it really bother you? It's this feeling of invisibility and loneliness, especially on a predominantly white in, uh, campus. And, the, and for myself personally, as a white, as a white passing uh, indigenous woman, like it's, it's really difficult because I feel like I said in there, like no, you can look at me and that's not, you would have no idea that it's a hard day. So that's why it meant so much for, to me um, and to the other students at Virginia Tech, the university actually um, recognize and celebrate this day. Um, and this was a basically a student-led resolution. Um, it came from Native of Virginia Tech, uh, particularly a couple of our students um, who are now alums, uh, Jason Chavez and uh, Doris Tinsley. They did a lot of the hard work in writing the resolution um, and uh, presenting it at different committees and, and caucuses. We went in front of university council um, and that was hard hard for our students. We went in front of them twice. And yes, the second time was much easier. It was the time they approved it. The first time was very hard. Just trying to navigate the uh, complications of university council and university bureaucracy, um, trying to figure out how to how to navigate all of that um, was difficult and trying, um, but we did it. And so um, it was an amazing feeling. Um, being able to uh, uh, speak at the first um, first Indigenous Peoples Day and read those words that I wrote to wrote to you, while being surrounded by uh, my Indigenous family here at Tech, um, it is it's uh, emotional to think about how far we have come just in the time that I've been here, and um, we still have a lot of progress to do, as we will talk about. But it is, it's, it's emotional thinking about how far we have come in those five years. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think we think of invisibility as something that comes with lightness. But when you talk about this weight, weighty invisibility, right, this erasure that simultaneously is pushing, pushing on you, um, that's experienced and felt heavily um, in your daily life, I think opens up for folks who um, don't experience that kind of marginalization um, in our communities, opens up uh, a, maybe a level of empathy to understand um, what, what that is like um, for someone who had to experience, um, whether it's um, previously recognized as Columbus Day or just that lack of, that erasure of, um, if we pretend it didn't happen, we can neither recognize the good or the bad. Um, and we kind of get ourselves out of um, coming to terms with all that this day means for every for all of us really um, in terms of our history but particularly for folks who are indigenous native communities um, so kind of building on this um, discussion right so we've talked a little bit broadly about indigenous people's day personally and um, maybe um, more broadly and socially uh, we've talked a little bit about the work um, the the labor that um, students really spearheaded to um, recognize it here at Virginia Tech. I'm wondering, can we talk a little bit about why it's particularly important maybe at places like Virginia Tech to recognize something like Indigenous Peoples Day? I think, again, as I mentioned before, like different people have different experiences. When I first 
came to tech, um, I came as a PhD student and um, it was my first time being away from home. Um, my first time living out of, out of the state that I grew up in. And I've been very transparent about this and anytime anybody's asked me about it, but my previous institution, though all institutions have their problems, um, have what I felt like was um, at the time a little bit more visibility um, around Indigenous students. We had a longstanding um, cultural event, powwow, um, that had gone on 20, 30 some years. There was usually programming that was happening um, and a visible Native student organization. I didn't always take advantage of those things as much as I would have liked to, but I think it was also because well, first of all, being close to home, I had a support system, um, and I came there with, came to the institution with friends that I'd went to in high school. I knew at least a handful of people in various Native communities across the state, and I, I didn't feel that it was quite as invisible as when I arrived here, and so I, I never um, took advantage of a lot of those things because I felt like I was supported enough. Um, I had everything that I felt like I needed to thrive as a student. But coming coming somewhere that's far from home is different. So I feel like when you're going to a new place and you don't have family nearby or the same friendship groups that you had nearby, you start looking for those systems of support or kinship or somebody that shares a similar background as you that, that you can relate to. So I think that was kind of my first experience of being somewhere where I was like, okay, where, where is, you know, the support for Native students or where is just general visibility of Native students? Um, where are some people that I can relate to? Um, and so I was looking for that as a doctoral student, and even though, you know, being in a graduate program, is very different than undergrad. It was just um, that initial look for a support system. I didn't come with a partner or children. And so I was just really looking for that support system. There's a lot of things that we've been able to do as a community. And I think that Indigenous Peoples Day is a component of that, of building um, visibility for students, building a more welcoming campus environment for students, acknowledging Native student presence, um, and having conversations around their place in higher education. Um, so for me, it's just kind of one of those things in a, in a larger conversation about not just Indigenous Peoples Day or not just Heritage Month, but how do all these things come together to create um, visibility of Native students in higher education and facilitate multiple conversations around indigeneity. So I didn't know Melissa when I first, when I first started. But now, actually, this is the first time I've done the math after knowing Melissa for a long, long time. But like, you have 40% of the Native student graduate uh, student population that was in 2015, 2016 on this call right now. We were two of five. <laughs> and we did not know each other. Um, and finding each other was impossible. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest that it was. And so I had a very similar experience to Melissa. Um, I was in my high school. I went the farthest away out of anyone from um, that actually went to college that I graduated with. And I was two and a half hours away from home for my undergrad. I went to Oklahoma State, um, which graduates them. It's always in the top for the amount of uh, bachelor's degrees uh, earned by Native Americans. Um, so yes, 
So I had a support system. I was not, I was not the only one. And I knew, and I knew where to find people if I didn't need them. I could go home. I knew where to find them on campus. Um, I, you know, participated in some, you know, in um, like some mentor programs on campus. And then coming to Virginia Tech was just, it was honestly such a culture shock and more than I thought it would was going to be. I was, I had always wanted to leave the state. I was never, I'd always wanted to go and experience somewhere new. Um, but then coming to Virginia Tech and seeing how different, especially as an indigenous person, Southwest rural Virginia is from rural Oklahoma, it, it was a complete culture shock. And IPD is a part, is like Melissa was saying, I really agree with what she said about it being a part of a bigger picture here at Virginia Tech. I mentioned that in the, you know, how far we've come in those five years. Um, in 2016, uh, that fall, the center was dedicated. And that really gave us as indigenous um, people, students and faculty and staff, um, a place to find each other. And once we found each other, something that, you know, Katie said earlier too, like, it's basically like a fight, like it was the spark and we found each other and like, we've been running ever since. Um, Melissa started the powwow. We had our, as a graduate student, the student developed IPD uh, resolution, <laughs> programming, just uh, general visibility, um, both at a university level and then at department levels um, with uh, partnerships um, in history and political science. I, IPD is a is a big part of that, but it's honestly, it honestly is just a piece of this uh, puzzle that we've been working on for a long time of helping people understand that we're still here and that we are a community and just, and that we're not invisible. Like Teresa was saying, it matters to remember your, your relationship and acknowledge your relationship um, with this community. Thank you so much for that. Um, do you want to talk about the place-based um, importance of land acknowledgement? Another part of my research, but also what I teach, and that is that Virginia Tech as a land-grant institution, one of many formed across the country, is implicated in the history of Indian removal and dispossession. So what we did last semester in sociology of laws, we went over um, the high country news report that exposes land-grant universities as what they call land-grab universities. And so what that report reveals and what many of us have known for a very long time is that you know, the startup capital and collateral that was used by many institutions, not just private industries, but public industries relied on, uh, strategically and financially relied on the removal and dispossession and physical and historical erasure of native peoples in order to exist. And as a land grant, we are implicated in that history. And this is linked to just another reason why it's important that we are learning about and thinking about Native people, whether it's in the context of Indigenous Peoples Day or it's in the context of a land acknowledgement. And so I think bringing those things together really matters for us to have a larger, kind of stronger, broader conversation about what we're all doing here together and what we're going to do moving forward. Melissa brought this up earlier, just like with Indigenous Peoples Day. 
Um, there are a lot of definitions of what a land acknowledgement are among us individually, um, but collectively for myself and in my own work, I think about land acknowledgements as statements that recognize both indigenous peoples past and present, but implicitly or explicitly, it depends on which land acknowledgement you're looking at, they're also acknowledging dispossession. Because in order to acknowledge the peoples that once were here, some of them are erased further, right, relegated to the past in the acknowledgement, or that continue to care for the land, implies that there was some form of dispossession. And so I think it's super important that acknowledgements, that we think about them that way, that they acknowledge indigenous peoples, they acknowledge place, but they also acknowledge dispossession. And that dispossession is really important for me and my work because dispossession is tied to what I would argue um, is the need for contemporary resources for native peoples, not just um, native students who come to tech, um, but also for all tribal communities that are affected by the history of the creation of Virginia Tech, whether they are Virginia tribes, um, but also those that we displaced historically in order to be able to have the university that we have right now. I think that's really powerful, right? That there's this, this thing that's happening in our, conscious, our consciousness, our unconsciousness of um, an intentional erasure. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about um, any connection that you see there between those concepts. Absolutely. I think liability plays a huge unspoken role in the extent to which universities and other public and private institutions are willing to acknowledge a whole host of things and entertain new ways of thinking about the world. So thinking about Indigenous Peoples Day in particular, if an institution, private or public, is willing to reconsider their relationship to Indigenous peoples and settler colonialism, this potentially opens up the conversation that maybe we continue to benefit from the original harm against a group of peoples. And it's not just the case for us as Native peoples, it's um, for our, you know, Black community members, it's for um, Latinos, it's for other marginalized groups as well. Um, but liability is often, I think, not what's said out loud. But I think it is something that universities in particular are worried about. So things like, you know, making a commitment to fund full tuition for Native students from Virginia at Virginia Tech is not a recognition of liability for settler colonialism, but it is saying we recognize as an institution, we have a responsibility to all peoples in the Commonwealth. And in particular, when we look at our numbers, we do not have the kind of cohorts that we need to be bringing into this campus. You know, it shouldn't be that Kuala and Melissa make up 40% of all graduate students at that time and didn't know each other, right? This is not going to help students to be successful cohorts of groups of, of minoritized populations. I always say I'm not a minority. We have been minoritized. Um, cohorts need to come in so that there's continuity, um, there's knowledge transfer, and there's the ability to thrive and feel safe in a new environment. And tech has this responsibility, I would argue, to all peoples in the Commonwealth. But it must be strategic with native peoples because of its relationship to removal and dispossession 
on top of all of those other things. So it makes me think of Jeff Korntassel's um, re-envisioning resurgence and it's where he interrogates this idea of reconciliation. And there's sometimes where I'm at events where I hear land acknowledgements used and I'm happy that they're being used, but I'm thinking that they're being used in the mindset of reconciliation, which is just like, okay, here's an apology. Now everything's good now, instead of in the vein of reciprocity, which is much more helpful in thinking about how can future relationships be reciprocal and mutually beneficial versus just saying like, okay, we're acknowledging this thing. Here's a somewhat kind of apology and now it's in the past, right? So yeah, that that just came to mind. And and I think what what should not be happening is that we're we're reading these or saying these things in the vein of a notion of reconciliation, which he kind of equates to an apology and now everything's fine and forgot about. Absolutely. And in my own work, and I will at some point modify these words, I call them performance versus progress. And so what you're describing in terms of reconciliation style language, or even in some cases, direct apologies that are disconnected from resource redistribution are performative. And in fact, they often are doing the work to allow uh, settlers to feel like it's okay now because we have acknowledged our role um, in historical violence. And because we've acknowledged it, that's all the growing we need to do. And now we can get back to business as usual. And this isn't the case, right, whatsoever. And they become performative often because they are not said for us as native peoples, they are said often by settlers for settlers and for their comfort. But I will never be comfortable with a land acknowledgement unless it's tied to resources. And in the context of universities, I often talk about um, you know, bringing in institutional cohorts of students um, and faculty and creating relationships, actual on the ground relationships with tribal communities as something that we all should be doing um, across the land grants. But in addition, first and foremost, we should reconsider what our relationship is to the land that we still have and think about what responsibility we have to give that land back. So yeah, if they're not talking about, I mean, I understand I'm real ambitious with give the land back and I don't mind being ambitious, um, but if we're not talking about what we do from here, then it's performative. We've been talking about performative allyship um, all summer and that piece of like, we're doing things because we don't understand them and we were told that this is a good solution, but those conversations were never actually had with the community members or specifically with the tribes of how can we make this right? Like, how can we actually do something about the problem that we created? So I think that that's a really, at least for me, that was a really helpful perspective and something that expanded my thoughts um, on specifically in those uh, land grant acknowledgements. So I appreciate you sharing that. You know, it surprises a lot of people, um, but Virginia Tech, at least in the past, you know, five years, has been at the forefront leading these conversations. And it may not feel like that, um, you know, if, if no one is explaining to you how the culture is shifting around the purpose of a land acknowledgement to think about resources, the fact that many members of our administration at the university level have said this 
and typed this, you know, in things that have gone out to the campus community is really profound because this is not kind of the common um, language that is used across the country. Often university level officials would say something like, we acknowledge we may have a relationship to those things and we will consider it and we will get back to you, you know, with the decision or with the plan um, after we form a committee. And tech certainly does that, but they also say, we understand that acknowledging the history of our university without tying it to resources, maybe we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but to do these things separated from each other is inconsiderate, disrespectful, and really not the purpose of what a land acknowledgement is designed to do. And so I think it's important that people on campus really realize these conversations are happening here in a very public way, um, and that we're really lucky to be in a university who's having frank conversations. Can we do better? Absolutely. But we are far and away leading on this union of acknowledging place and people and considering the resources and wedding them together. You know, I think as academics and as scholar activists, as students, we spend a lot of time critiquing, but um, Teresa is completely right. We're, we're having these frank conversations. A lot of initiatives are being supported by the university. Um, the Office for Inclusion and Diversity, Michelle DeRamo, Alicia Cohen, other folks, including myself, um, just recorded a broader, a broader educational module on land acknowledgements while they do them. Um, I wasn't even involved in writing the script, but I was happy to see that the script included from university administrators this idea of that land acknowledgements fall flat unless resources are put behind that. So that was included within that discussion. Um, so I was really happy about that. But also to Teresa's point that even if things seem slow um, and can we can always build and do better and we should always be a crit critiquing and aiming for um, additional goals. Tech is at the forefront of these things in the state. Um, and I know this because I can't tell you how often it seems like on a weekly basis, other institutions within Virginia are reaching out to the center saying, we see that you're doing this, how do we do that? Can you help us not reinvent the wheel? Um, so other people are taking notice. Other people are, are taking notice about Indigenous Peoples Day, about the land acknowledgement, about powwow, and the things that are happening here. In a lot of ways, we're leading the charge across the state. As we finish up this really wonderful conversation, I, I both want to say thanks and ask um, if you can share with our listeners and ourselves a little more about what's coming up next. Where can we go to learn more about the Native and Indigenous community at Virginia Tech? What's coming up for History and Heritage Month? Um, so for anything regarding Indigenous Peoples Day or Heritage Month, um, you can start by going to ccc.vt.edu, um, the American Indian Center's um, landing page is the first one that comes up. We also have a Facebook and Instagram if you search us on social media. Um, we're really excited about virtual programs. You know, we would love to be in community with everyone, but given our circumstances, things are remaining virtual. Um, but we're going to start that morning on October 12th with um, a, an alumni panel, some of the fo very folks that were heavily involved in Indigenous Peoples Day, Jason Chavez, he will be serving on that panel. And so we really just want to catch up with our alumni and see how they're doing, what they're doing in their professional lives, um, and what kind of reflections they have about their time and what they gained from Virginia Tech. 
Um, and then at um, one o'clock, Dr. Beardall is going to be giving um, a more in-depth talk with her colleague, Teresa Ambo, um, about land grants and um, Indigenous people's history with land grant institutions. Um, at five o'clock, we are spotlighting um, Native contributions to art, fashion, and pop culture. We're interviewing Kelly Holmes, who is the founder of Native Max Magazine. And at 7.30, there is a performance by Delana Studi and a Q&A. She's doing excerpts from her one-woman play, And So We Walked. And then she will be interviewed by Dr. May High, um, Assistant Professor in Sociology and American Indian Studies. That is a a day full of opportunities for those of us um, who are interested in learning more. And I really look forward to, um, to participating in some of those. This has been episode five of Gender Ed, a podcast from the Women's Center hosted by Katie and Ashley. Thank you for listening and we hope that you join us next time. 